The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. So my question for you as I started would be this. What would you do if you knew you were living in your last moments, that tomorrow you would die? I recently saw this video where this question was asked to three friends. And so the guy that's asking the question asked the first one, so what would you do? And he goes, you know what? I'd probably go rent my dream car and spend the day driving around and living it up and just experiencing this thing that I've been wanting to do for so long. The second friend comes and says, you know what? I probably do that cliche thing that everyone says. I'd go spend time with family in hopes that I can make one lasting, amazing memory that they can hold on to before I go. And then he got to the third one, and the third one has had time to think about it, and yet he still pauses. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of pauses and stops and chuckles to himself. He says, you know what I'd probably do? I'd open my laptop and go onto Facebook and type out a message that said, if you don't send this to three different people before tomorrow, I'm going to die. (laughs) And everyone started laughing and says, oh, can I change my answer now? (laughs) I laughed out loud too, it was hilarious. (laughs) As funny as that is, you know, the the question that's being asked though is really about focus. And it's trying to get us to ask the question, what are we really focusing on? Or rather, what are we living for in the day-to-day? And are we missing the target we're trying to shoot? Right? Because everything seems to change. All the busyness, all the stuff in life goes away once you know your time is up. Well, today, we're going to be finishing this three-part series entitled New. And over the, the course of this time, we've looked at the amazing truths of what it means to be new in Jesus that we're a new creation, that we no longer have to do the song and dance to, to be with God, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, we have the ability to be with him. And so today we're going to be looking at what does that now mean for us? What is the things that will change in us and how should we look or rather what's the focus point? And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13, if you don't have one, it'll be on the screen behind you. And we're going to read through this. And as you get there, let me take a drink. So John chapter 13, starting at verse 1, it says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world to the Father, Having loved them to the end, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed 
doesn't need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had, fin- had washed their feet and put on the outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So before we get started today, I want to address two things that you might have asked yourself as you read through this text, because it's a question that we've seen throughout history, and they both come in the first two verses of the, the, this passage. And the first question is, how did Jesus, in the midst of a meal, all of a sudden get the knowledge that his life was coming to an end? All right, great question. And the second question is, what does it mean that the devil can put something on your heart? And I love those questions, and I think they're super important. And um, as much as I, and there might be some of you that sit in this room saying, man, I really, really hope he spends most of the time talking about those two things. I'm not. Um, but before I dive into what we're going to say, let me say this. I believe one of the most important things to understand when it comes to your faith is that when you have questions of faith, it's not the lack of evidence, but it's your faith at work meaning you're trying to grow in your relationship. And so if those questions are bugging you, take time to seek God's word to answer them. Because I do believe he does answer those questions. I do believe that as you spend time wrestling with those things that are in your heart, he starts to reveal to you the truths of those questions. But the reason I'm not answering that, those two questions today is because I believe they're a distraction from what John actually wants us to ask. Now, John, like all the other biblical writers, tend to put either a lot of detail or no detail into stories. And it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. And so if John really just wanted to, to tell us the story, he could have simply just said, in the middle of dinner, Jesus got up and started to wash his feet. But instead, he goes into extreme detail of what took place before he got up out of his seat. And yes, of course, we want to know more information. Don't we all? Right? We, we live in the generation of, of information. Like you just Google search anything you want. And so we often get caught up on like, well, how? But that's not what John was wanting us to ask. You see, what John is, I believe, truly wanting us to ask is simply this. What did he do with the knowledge? What did he do? See, John received the thing that every one of us wants, the, or Jesus, rather, He received the knowledge that his time was coming to pass. And so he now had the ability to choose what he was going to do with his last moments. And so my guess is you probably would have an expectation of what that would look like. At least I would. This past uh, week, my wife and I uh, watched this movie called The Eternals. And without going into too much detail, because it just came out pretty recently, and I hate when people uh, spoil a movie I haven't seen, I'll just explain this. The movie overall is talking about the mythical, uh, mythical gods uh, uh, from, the, uh, from the Greek era. And at some point, these characters come to the realization that the world that they understand is coming to an end. 
And so because, with that information, these individuals then start to display their power, their giftings to change the outcome, right? And that's what we all would expect if we had the ability to do things like that and to stop something from happening, we would try, right? Like if I knew that tomorrow was my last day and that someone in this room was gonna be the reason why I didn't live tomorrow, you bet I would do everything in my power to stop you, right? So I can continue to love the community I'm around, to continue to love my family, to continue to, to do those things. And so you would expect that the, when Jesus knows that he was about to be betrayed, that he would display something, right? Like if I was the singer Adele, you'd think that she, that, and she had her last moments, she'd probably want to sing one last song. But instead of like doing this crazy miracle and then splitting the sky open and then Jesus saying, see, there's God. What does he do? It says he just gets up off the table unannounced and starts to walk. Goes in, rose from supper, starts to walk and starts to take off his clothes and then tie a towel around his waist. And what we can learn here from this, that the moment that Jesus learned his final moments were upon him, Jesus chose to walk in humility instead of demand or live out in his authority, right? Like this is a very humbling act to take your clothes off, right? In, in front of someone, that doesn't mean that he was like naked, but he was, he was really just like any th- part of him that was like of authority or showing his, his status was removed from him. You'd think the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creators of the heaven and the earth wouldn't have done that. But instead he chose to walk in humility. And what he did was he went and picked up a basin and some water and started to wash the feet of his disciples. Now feet washing is not something we do in our culture. In, in my entire life, I've experienced it twice. Both were in uh, my Bible college, and they were both very awkward. Right? Because feet washing is a very intimate experience. And since we've never experienced that before, I need a volunteer. Who wants to get their feet washed? Uh, what? You don't want to do that? Oh, why not? I'll get a chair. Why? Because you're like, that is a very intimate, a very personal thing. And to be honest, feet are just gross. <laughs> Like we have shoes and toes like, and socks and all these things, but you got toe jam. Like who knows the last time you did any of that? Like it's gross. But just try to imagine for a moment what it would be to be in those actual shoes because they had open toe shoes. They walked around in sandals, not in roads that we have today here in America, but on dust on the paths that they walked on were the same paths that animals walked on. And so every day they walked, their feet were covered with the filth, the filth of the world. It's pretty nasty, right? But so, To help us try to understand what's taking place here, let's try to imagine this from the start. Jesus and his friends are now sitting at a table. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just stops. What he was doing, gets up out of his seat. So let's say today you have your boss coming over for dinner. Or someone you highly admire, someone that you would say is miles apart from you. And what would you do? 
you would do everything in your household to prepare it to be perfect, right? You might not even be at church right now because you're like, we got to use a toothbrush to get these corners cleaned, right? Because we want to make sure that every inch of the house is clean. And so your boss comes over and you have the you know, casual conversation and he gets to the table and he sits down and then all of a sudden he just, without saying anything, gets up from the table and starts to walk. Still hasn't said anything yet. And he walks over to a closet and opens the door. And then he starts rummaging around these things. And you hear noise and things and all of a sudden he pops back out of that closet. And in his hands are gloves, bleach, and towels. And he walks over to your bathroom and starts to clean your toilet. What would you do? You would be freaking out inside, like, right? Like you'd be like, um, excuse me? That's disgusting. Why? Like, you're, you're my boss. I will never allow you to do that. And, and maybe for a moment, you understand exactly what Peter is saying here when he sees Jesus come to him. It would be like our boss coming to us and saying, I'm cleaning your bathroom. You'd be like, don't you dare, right? Like, I don't even want like good friends of mine to clean my bathroom. Like, that is intimate. That is personal. There's grime. There's dust. And even if I tried my hardest, I'm sure I didn't get it all, right? But then this is what Jesus says to him. He says, he says, if I do not wash you, you shall have no share with me. And so the second thing we see is that not only did Jesus walk in humility, that Jesus served with generosity because he met an unforeseen need. What is so beautiful about this story and what we have to understand here is that Feet washing was mandatory before you walked into a home. And the reason for that is because they didn't have the hygiene that we have today. And so when they were walking in the filth and disgust of this world, they didn't want it to enter into their house. And so they would make sure to clean their feet before they walked in. And this passage didn't start at the doorway. It said it started at the, the table. And so Jesus was doing something so beautiful and so profound. He was demonstrating what he's about to do on the cross. He's saying, you've already tried your whole life to get yourself clean. But unless I clean you, unless I clean you, you and I cannot be in a relationship. That's what he's trying to get Peter to understand here is that we want to work really, really hard and trying to make ourselves right for God, but we cannot. It's only by his grace that that's possible because sin, the things that we do that go against God, need, need to be corrected. And we understand this today. Like we, we want justice when justice needs to take place. There needs to be a repercussion for someone's actions just 
like our actions need a repercussion. And so Jesus easily could have in his authority and in his fullness could have used it to say, well, you are being punished for it instead chose to show, I will wash you clean. I will wash you clean. Jesus walked in humility, served with generosity, but Jesus also willingly did this with no exception of return. Two times in this passage, John makes it abundantly clear that Jesus knew who was going to betray him. That man was named Judas. And within a short amount of time, Judas was going to leave the room that they were in, walk over to the temple and get 30 pieces of silver so that they could send guards to where Jesus would be. Now, there's this, this uh, statement that has been seen a lot uh, in Christianity today, um, and it's actually becoming people's tattoos, and it, the statement is, Judas ate too. And it's a beautiful statement. It's this idea that Jesus allowed J- uh, Judas to sit at the table and eat with him, even though he was about to betray him. And as beautiful as that is, I don't know if it's that powerful because many people today sit across the table from an enemy. If you looked at your spouse, come talk to us. <laughs> um, we want to help. But the truth is we, we genuinely know people that have had to sit through an uncomfortable meal. And, and we know what it's like to say, you know what, I, I can bear through this meal. I can do it. And what I think is more powerful than eating a meal with someone who's an enemy is to wash their feet, is to serve them. But Jesus didn't only just do that. Now, uh, I don't know if you uh, know where the concept of bowing came from, right? But bowing was a thing that started back centuries ago, and it was a way to say that I'm giving you the back of my neck, which means nothing to us. But back then, when the only weapon of choice was a sword, it was a way to say, I'm actually giving you my life. I'm going to die for you. Because I have no way to defend myself when I'm on the ground with my head down. You standing tall can do whatever you want. And so it was a way of symbolically saying, my life is in your hands. I am dying for you. And so imagine for a moment how to wash someone's feet. Let's say this is the person and those are their feet. What do I have to do? I have to get on my knees. I have to bow my head before them and I have to take their feet and I have to clean. And what am I doing when I'm doing that? I'm exposing the back of my neck to you. So not only did Jesus walk in humility, not only did he serve and meet a need that was unforeseen, he willingly put the back of his neck toward every person in that room. It doesn't say that he only washed the feet of the disciples who loved him. <laughs> no, he says after he was finished after he had done all of these things, he then gets up off the table. I love the way 
that Chip Ingram expresses this idea, uh, what about what does it mean to really love someone? And, and it's simply this, true love is giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at personal cost. Jesus just demonstrated those three things. That true love is giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at personal cost. Jesus didn't show favorites. He wasn't expecting an RTA, right? There's no return on investment. He was willing to do it for all. And so after he gets up on the table, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one whom sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. And maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, thank God I wasn't in that room because it doesn't apply to me, <laughs> right? But to be clear that he wanted this to be for all, the story continues. So right after this, uh, they have the meal. It's called the Last Supper. And we celebrate this every month in our church. And Jesus does something amazing. He takes something that was beautiful and simple and easy and makes it into something memorable. He takes a meal and says, this is my body broken for you. And he, and he takes a, just a cup of juice and, or wine and pours it out. And says, this is my blood pouring out to you so that every time you see it, you would think of what he's about to do. And after he has now washed the feet of his disciples and fed his disciples, he then looks at Judas and says, go ahead. And Judas gets up. After everything he's just experienced and does what he did, but it didn't stop Jesus from what he did. And this is what he says down in verse 31 after that's all taken place. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet in a while, I am with you and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so I now also say to you, where I am going to you, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. And so Judas leaves and it's almost as if like the hands that were being tied around Jesus' back come off because he then goes and says, it's coming. The time when I'm gonna be glorified is upon us. And if I'm the disciples at this point, I'm really excited because their entire time, what the Jews have been waiting for was a military leader to come and they think they have the greatest warrior of all time because he can heal sick people. Like our people are never gonna die. <laughs> but it's not what Jesus's plan was. And then he goes on and says, after he, he reveals my time is here, he says, this is a new command I've given you to love. Now for something to be new, it has to be different, right? Like if I went up to you and said, here's my water bottle, it's yours, it's new. You're looking at it going, uh, dude, there's dents in it. It looks like someone chewed on the top. Like, like when was the last time this thing was clean? Right? Like it's not new. So for it to be new, it has to be different. So what's different? See, the Jews every morning woke up with this command to love on their heart. They prayed this prayer every morning. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord. Like the command was to love, so what's new? 
It's the way you love. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved. I was hoping a response. As I have loved you. So how did Jesus love them? What did he just do for them? He served them. He laid down his authority before them. He died to them. He fed them. And one of the saddest things about our Christian culture today is Christians are known not for what the gospel is for, but for what they are against. When Jesus says that the ways that you will know, that people will know that you are my disciple, that you are with me is not for standing up for what you are against, but it's being known to love generously. So the question I want to ask us all is this. For those of you who have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, how are you known? Are you known by your generous love? A love that is sacrificial, that does not demand rights and is willing to die for someone? Or is it something different? More often than not, I think people think this is the extra credit, the extra things that give you maybe a bigger crown on your head, but it's not. Jesus says this is the bare minimum. This is how you're to be known. And thanks be to God, later on, he says, you can't do it on your own. He says, the only way that this is possible is that I send you the gift who empowers you to do so, which is the Holy Spirit. So I don't want you to beat yourselves over the head and ask yourself, gosh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, Lord, I need you to start softening my heart and empower me to do this because I cannot and will not be able to ever do these things on my own. I need you to do that. I need you to be the one who helps me love in this radical way because if you do not do it, I cannot accomplish it. And that's why later on he tells his disciples, you must stay in this place until the gift I have for you is given to you because he's the one who enables you to do what I have asked. And so what are you known by? For those of you who are believers this week, my challenge for you is to actually take time to pray and ask God to soften your heart so that you can learn to love those around you the way that Jesus has loved you. Because if you've received that type of love, then it's easy to give that type of love. So what does that look like? Maybe it's when you're driving down the street and you see someone with a sign on the side of the road, instead of saying, they're just trying to scam me, you're going out of your way to stop, buy food, and come back and hand it to them with no expectation of anything in return. Maybe it's when you come home from your house and you've had a long day, but it's very evident in your spouse's eyes that they have had a longer day and you're tired and frustrated, but you said, you know what? I will take the kids or I will make dinner. Go by yourself and rest. 
Maybe it's looking at the, the teenager that's in your house or the child in your house who's walking away that you don't think so and it's saying, I'm going to do everything I can to love you the way you need to receive it so that you can be softened by Jesus' love for you. And for those of you in this room who don't know Jesus, my question for you would be, would you want to receive this? Would you want to receive a love that does not demand anything from you, who actually longs to serve you and meet your tangible needs and is willing to die for you? I hope so. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they're walking up, we're going to sit in a moment of silence. And I'm going to ask two things. For those of you who are a believer, I pray that in these moments that you would ask God to soften your heart, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to enter into you, to allow you to live this radical love, that he would give you tangible ways to do that. And that through this week, you would actually continue to pray that prayer. For those of you who aren't, would you take these moments of silence as a way to maybe just entertain the idea? And if God, if you feel this weird sensation that you should, come talk to myself, to Michael, to Caleb, and the other people here on staff. Because as, as Michael shared in announcements, this is not to be meant to do on your own, but in community. And so we want to walk alongside of you in this new journey. And so take a moment, bow your heads with me, take some time to be in front of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I am so humbled by the fact that when you had the authority and ability to reveal yourself and demand your rights and, and expect people to give to you, you chose not to. Instead of causing us to live in, in, in what we deserve, you said, I will place that punishment upon my own son. And in doing so, we not only are right with you, what is an amazing and beautiful gift, but we can then also change and soften our heart as well. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us in this room who are believers that we would start to live in this radical love. God, that we would actually start to think about our world, our neighbors, our coworkers, the, the business partner who did us wrong, the, the coworker that took credit when it was yours, when it was your work, that we wouldn't fight for it, that we know that you see what happened and that you're fighting for us as we sing today and that you will reward us at some point on this earth or when we see you again. And so Lord, we ask that as your word promises that you would give us the strength to do it, that you would empower us not by our own wills, that you would give us supernatural abilities to love those people that are hard And Lord, for those in this room that have not received this, I pray that they would experience your powerful love, the mercy you have to give your desire to bless them in a, in a tangible and beautiful community and that they would sense what you do for them and how much you care about them. Lord, let us be known not for what we are against, but for what the gospel is for. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Pains and hardships. So God, we give this to you who paid it all on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.